Follow me along in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews once again. During our ongoing study of the book of Hebrews, verse by verse, line by line, word by word. Such a profitable book coming to us. The pleasure, goodwill, and grace of our God. Let's turn our attention to midpoint of chapter 12 where I will begin reading in verse 18. Verse 18, Hebrews chapter 12. For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and that burned with fire and to darkness and blackness and tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, so that those who heard it begged that it, the word should not be spoken to them anymore. For they could not endure what was commanded. And if so much as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. But you have come to Mount Zion. And to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly of the church, of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. Would you bow in prayer with me this morning? <clears throat> Our Lord and God, would you help us with your word this morning? Would you help us as we reach back into the Old Testament and study your truths that are referred to here? We might have a clear understanding of the blessing that you are giving us as new covenant believers, as believers who have Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But more than that, we have him as our mediator and great high priest. Let us follow him where he leads. And as he leads us in this word, would you teach us? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been learning how to run the faith race. Having studied those who have gone before, now it is our turn to take up the baton and, and run. The new covenant is a covenant we hold in faith. There's a promise given by God, now in force because of the blood of Jesus Christ that he shed on the cross. We entered into that new covenant through that act of Christ. In believing on him, we want to follow forward in running after him. We want to look. We want to be where Jesus wants us looking. We've studied already by way of review that there's a necessity, if we're going to run the faith race, to be ready to run to be trainable before we run, to be durable as we run with endurance, 
never failing, and today to be focused, To run the faith race in the new covenant requires us to look forward. A forward-looking focus. And this passage is, it has two sides to it, verses 18 through 24. One side is by way of warning to direct us in our vision. And the last half is encouraging. The warning in this passage highlights the tendency of these Hebrew Christians, and not only they, but every Christian who's ever come, and I would include the Gentile Christians at the time and even us, it's a warning against being backward looking, but rather it's a call to be forward looking. Some Christians may be asking the questions, maybe you've even asked this question of yourself and to yourself and the quiet recesses of your mind, you said, why am I always falling down as I attempt to run the faith race? Why do I find myself flat on my face or falling on my rear end and I'm not doing so well running? Well, this passage suggests that perhaps you're not looking where you're going. How many mothers have said to their children, are you looking where you're going? The child falls down because they're looking at something else. They're, they've got something else as their attention point, their focal point. You go to work to, with your dad. Your dad's like, what are you doing? You're not looking where you're going. You're going to get killed over here. And that's exactly the flavor, if you will, or the tone that God is taking with us as Christians. He's saying, are you looking where you're going? Don't look back, look forward. The fourth fundamental is be focused so that we can run by refocusing our attention to the new covenant promises and the glories therein and not look backwards. So let's get into it once again today. We need to be focused as the fourth of four fundamentals for reaching the finish in the run of faith. Verse 18, for you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and that burn with fire and to blackness and darkness and tempest. Be focused. The first lesson is this. You can't focus on the past. If you're going to run the faith race, you have to run forward, and you can't focus on the past. You can't focus on what is antiquated. You can't have a backward-looking run. You don't run, if you will, in reverse. When I was thinking of this and looking for an illustration, I was reminded of a movie I saw years and years ago. It was a comedy. It's called Smoke Signals, I think. I'm not sure, don't quote me. And this isn't even uh, any kind of a plug that this is a good sort of movie. I don't remember much of it, but I do remember that it was set on a reservation and there were these two girls who had a car. But the car had no forward gears that would work. 
So when they went to town or went anywhere, they always drove the car with the one gear that worked, which was reverse. And so they were sitting by each other conversing on the way to town, driving down the highway in reverse. When they had anyone go with them, they had to slide to the sides of the back seat so they could look out through the rear window to see where they were going. And they had to park such that they could get turned around and go in reverse again. It was quite comic. This lesson this morning is don't drive in reverse. Don't drive looking backwards. You have to run forward. Looking back, the text causes our focus to look at a past event and time that seems to suck people in like a black hole. They tell me a black hole has great amounts of gravity. And if you even get close to it, it'll suck you right into it and somehow you can't ever get out. Now, I've never really experienced this, but I'm, I'm taking it at their word. But I think this focal point of the past is what has caused many Christians, many Hebrew Christians, and even many in the church of Jesus Christ of the New Testament, of the New Covenant, to be sucked into this black hole. Verse 18 says again, For you have not come. You have not come to the mountain that may be touched. This is Mount Sinai. This is where the Mosaic law was given. This is where Moses went up to receive from God what has been called the Mosaic Covenant, or as the Hebrews would call it, Torah. The first five books of the Bible. They received these revelations. As Moses successively went up on the mountain. It is so easy for these Hebrew Christians to revert to the past that they know. The traditions that seem familiar, safe, and even sanctified. I have found that it, the same sort of hold comes upon Christians in our era who have been raised in the Roman Catholic tradition or in the Orthodox Catholic tradition of the East that some of those rituals, some of the sacerdotal rites that are observed every time they meet become such a hold and have such a hold on them that even the text of Scripture that would draw them into new covenant faith doesn't seem able to pull them all the way out. They keep looking back in their faith, rather forward in their faith. And it happens even more so when times of persecution comes, which certainly was happening during the time in which this book of Hebrews was written. That as the pressure comes on them, and not only from the outside and the world around them, but even from their own fellows in the Hebrew, the Jewish world, 
It is easier just to capitulate in some ways and go back to those things that you know, if you will, put your car in reverse and drive in reverse while you're trying to go forward. It's funny in a movie. It's pitiful for Christians in the New Covenant Church. The text that we're following this morning gives us three reasons to avoid looking back to Mount Sinai, or if you will, driving in reverse. The key statement is the first words of verse 18, for you have not come. You have not come here. You are not with Moses and the Hebrews who are coming out of Egypt, going into the promised land, and have been commanded by God to Mount Sinai, you have not come to that mountain that could be touched. Why does he say that mountain that could be touched? Because it was a real geographical feature. It is a real mountain to this day. It is a place on the map that you can arrive at and you can touch that mountain and feel its physicality. It is real. And not only it is, is it real, what happened there on that mountain is historical. It really indeed did happen that Moses went up and got the law and came down with it and that the people waited for him while God was giving it to him. You have not come to that mountain that may be touched. Because actually this was a mountain that they were not ever supposed to touch while this was going on. You have not come to a physical, real, historical mountain called Sinai. You Hebrews, listen. You haven't come there in your walk of faith. You are not there now in your walk of faith. You are not to look back in this walk of faith because this one, this one was dangerous. I'm going to give you three reasons. And the first reason not to look back, to avoid looking back to Mount Sinai is because there is danger there. Danger is there on Mount Sinai on this mountain. It is dangerous. The text of scripture in Exodus where we find the Hebrews there for the giving of the law, we read Exodus 19 and now verse 10, notice the danger. Then the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their clothes and let them be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down upon Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. So the first step was a physical cleansing. Spiritual ramifications, but it was a physical cleansing of the outside to consecrate themselves, to get ready in their hearts and minds by washing themselves and their clothes because God was going to come down. You're going to meet the holy God. You better be ready for him. 
Don't take it lightly. If you know you're going to meet the President of the United States or even a past President of the United States or a Queen, you might think about showering before you do so. Am I right or wrong? You might go through the closet and pick out appropriate clothes. You might come out with something and someone says, you can't wear that. Don't you know who it is you're going to meet? So it is this idea of reverence and cleanliness in preparation to see God come down upon a mountain. Verse 12 is where we get in even more into the danger zone. You shall set bounds for the people all around saying, take heed to yourselves. That means watch out. That you do not go up to the mountain or touch its base. It is a physical, literal mountain. You can touch it, but God is saying, don't touch it. And you know what happens as soon as God says, don't touch it, don't you? Yeah, that's right. Every sinner in the place says, he must mean everybody else but me. Or as soon as the sin rises up and wants to touch you, he says, take heed to yourselves that you do not go up to the mountain or touch its base. Listen to the consequences. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. So you want to say, nah, 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 and run up there and touch it, then it is the responsibility of the rest of the congregation to then put you to death. And then pay attention as we read on. Not a hand shall touch him, but he shall surely be stoned or shot. He'll, he'll be put to death, but you know, in your putting of this person to death, who had the audacity, who had the rebellious heart to think they could touch the mountain upon which God is going to descend, you do not even touch that person who touched the mountain. He touched the mountain, you don't touch him. You throw rocks at him so you don't have to touch him. They'll be stoned or shot with an arrow, whether a man or a beast. People who want to go back and follow the old covenant, people who want to go back and, and be with Moses in the law, well, this is it. If you want to go in reverse, this is where you end up. At the foot of Mount Sinai, where the very presence of God is a killing president for anyone who doesn't take it seriously and will require the rest of the congregation to kill you if you touched it. Not only if you're a man, it even applies to all the animals. So they had myriads of herds of animals, and there's a requirement for them as well. Not only shall you as a human not touch it, listen. Whether man or beast, he shall not live. Now, I've herded cattle quite often, and I think I can handle keeping them back from the mountain. I have tried to help herd sheep, and you can have that job yourself. I don't want it. I know there's a trick to it. I don't have it. But if you don't want to lose sheep, you don't want to lose cattle, you don't want to lose horses, you don't want to lose your camels, don't let them even close. So, so dangerous is the presence of God coming down to earth, and so reverential were they supposed to be that this was the consequence of taking that lightly. 
He goes on to say, when the trumpet sounds long, they shall come near the mountain, but don't touch it. We have not come there. You have not come to this mountain that could be touched, but yet you should never touch the untouchable holiness of God. Death. Danger is there. Why are you looking back? You have not come to the mountain. Now it's described that burned with fire, blackness, darkest darkness, and tempest. The reality of God's presence coming down was physically manifested like a firestorm from above and earthquakes from below. Listen to Exodus 19:16. Then it shall come to pass on the third day, after you've cleaned yourselves up, you've penned the animals, you've kept them back that there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain. And the sound of the trumpet was very loud. I don't know. You know, if you ever have somebody blow a trumpet right in your ear, it's really loud. If they blow it with all their might, it's really loud. I'm just wondering what God's trumpet sounds like. Was it the trumpet that the archangel blows? The announcement that God, very God, is coming? The trumpet sounds? What was it like? This is what it was like. It sounded. So that all the people who were in the camp trembled. That's the sound of the trumpet. The trumpet did not give peace. The trumpet did not make you want to do the hippie shake shake. It did not make you want to rise up and celebrate. It made them want to tremble. Power. Might. Majesty. God is coming. And Moses brought the people out of the camp, verse 17, to meet with God. They stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain quaked greatly. You want to go back to Sinai? There it is. The unfiltered presence of God before man only shielded by a cloud so that the glory doesn't immediately kill you, the presence of God that terrifies, the presence of God that shakes you to the core of your being because there is danger there with God. Those who take God lightly don't understand God. Those who sneer and rebel against him, maybe they should read this. The first reason not to look back to Sinai is because danger is there. The second reason to avoid looking back to Mount Sinai is there is condemnation there. There is condemnation there. You have not come to the mountain of danger. You have not come to the mountain of condemnation. The condemnation of trumpet and voice of words. Our text said, and verse 19, and the sound of a trumpet and the voice 
of words. So that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. How great and wonderful it is for us in the New Testament, in the New Covenant era, to read our Bibles, to proclaim the truths from God's mouth, put on paper, given to us. What a pleasant and wonderful aroma it gives off to our hearts. What a calming feature it is. But not then. Not there. Not like this. You have not come to this mountain with trumpet and voice of words. When Moses was preparing to send the people into the land all alone, for he had sinned against God, instead of speaking to a rock to bring forth water, he had struck it with his rod, and God denied him the privilege of entering into the promised land for the judgment on the leader is always stricter than on the people. He instructed them and reminded them of the past. In Deuteronomy 4, Moses said, Then you came near and stood at the foot of the mountain, and the mountain burned with fire to the midst of heaven, with darkness, cloud, and thick darkness. And the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire, you heard the sounds of the words, but saw no form. You only heard a voice. He declared to you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform, the Ten Commandments, and he wrote them on two tablets of stone. And the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and judgments that you might observe them in the land which you crossed over to, to possess you have not come to this mountain of trumpet and voice because condemnation is there. God sent a law for them to keep. It's so overpowering was that when it comes from God. It is one thing when Moses would tell them this is what God had said and it came through him. But now God spoke so that they could hear and their response was this. They begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. You have not come to that mountain where when you hear the word, you will beg that the word would not be heard by your ears. You're not there. They were. That's in the past. Exodus 20 reminds us all of this event again. Now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightnings, the flashes, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. Then they said to Moses, you speak with us, and we will hear. But let not God speak with us, lest we die. The reality of this past presence of God bringing to them the commandments that he had delivered, even the Ten Commandments. We venerate the Ten Commandments, and we certainly should, but when they were given, they caused people to think they're dying. That the condemnation of it was too much for the people coming from the mouth of God. They said, please, can we have someone to stand between us and God? We can't take it anymore. 
you have not come. And begged that the word should not be spoken to you anymore. You have not come, as our text says, for they could not endure what was commanded. They could not endure what was commanded to them. Verse 20, Hebrews 12, for they could not endure what was commanded. And then it's listed, if so much as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through with an arrow. Too much for us. How could we want to come near this God who when he speaks to us, by the way, which was a privilege. Many of you want God to speak to you, don't you? Do you want it like this? Or do you want it like this? Some might say, well, Pastor Fred, he's, he's kind of tough in that pulpit. Not like that. Not like that. I am quite confident nobody thought they were dying in one of my sermons. Wait a minute. Don't answer that. I don't mean death by boredom. Death by length. I mean real death. This was different. They couldn't endure what was commanded. Deuteronomy 5, again, right before they would go in. The overwhelming condemnation of the voice of the Lord was there. Moses reminds them of what they had experienced 40 years prior. Now, therefore, why should we die, they had said at the time. For this great fire will concern will consume us if we hear the voice of the Lord our God anymore. Then we shall die. Can you imagine the hearing of the voice of God that makes you feel on the inside that you are going to die? This is it. It's the end. I'm undone. That's looking back. That's where it comes from. Those who are so enamored with the Mosaic law and want to follow it whether it's Messianic Jews, whether it's Hebrews of today, they're in the Orthodox tradition, where there's so many churches who seem to want to adopt the old and drive in reverse, this is where you end up. Death by the word of God. They went on to speak about how they were feeling. They said to Moses, for who is there of all flesh who has heard the voice of the living God speaking from the midst of the fire as we have and lived? They said, nobody else has heard God and lived. We're sure we're going to die if this keeps going on. So great was the condemnation. By the way, when God speaks of his holiness without a filter of a priest, without the filter of a stand between, without Moses who functioned as the first priest, you can't take it. We have a different high priest, even better than Moses. That's where Hebrews started, remember? Moses is good. But Jesus, our great high priest, is better. He brings you the word of God so that it won't kill you. It will save you. Listen to what God said about their determination. 
Moses says in Deuteronomy 5, verse 28, Then the Lord heard the voice of your words when you spoke to me, and the Lord said to me, here's God's commentary. I think this is profound. Quote, I have heard the voice of the words of this people which they have spoken to you. Listen, they are right. They are right in all that they have spoken. They can't handle this. They can't handle me. They can't handle me even veiled in a cloud on a mountain. They cannot handle me. They can't handle my word. Because their hearts have a problem. Their sin is condemning them. Their unrighteousness is a weight on their shoulders. It compresses their hearts when they're confronted with God speaking his own holiness. And then God cries. Listen to this cry of God. Verse 29 of Deuteronomy 5. Oh, God groans himself. Oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and would always keep my commandments that it might be well with them and with their children forever. And you know what struck me? Fear and fear. There's two fears here. Oh, that they would fear me. Wait a minute. It's good that they fear me. It's good that they're trembling and they can't handle this. They've said it right. But oh, that they would fear me. There must be something different between the terror of Mount Sinai and God there and the Hebrew people there and the kind of fear God wants that would cause people to obey his commands and have life. And you know what the difference is? Faith. 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 When the people heard all of these commandments, thou shalt have no other God before me, they trembled because they were idolaters in their hearts. When they heard thou shalt not commit adultery, they trembled because they knew that they were adulterers in their hearts. When God said, thou shalt not covet, they knew they were covetous. When God said, thou shalt not steal, etc., they knew they were thieves. And they said, I can't do all of that. I can't keep all of that. I'm dead. Because all they thought they would do is try to do it. When you're driving in reverse, you're trying to keep all of the law of Moses in your own strength and power apart from faith. The law was good when it was given, but it was brought to them not to give them safety but to show them condemnation because the law could not and would not and will not save them. 
In the text of Hebrews that we've been studying, in the lead up to this, we were told these words in Hebrews chapter 10 about the law. For the law, it says in Hebrews 10.1, having a shadow of the good things to come, listen, and not the very image of the things, can never, did you hear me? Can never, if love doesn't work for you, can never, can never, with the same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year, make those who, listen, approach perfect. It's always about approaching God. He's saying you can do every sacrifice every year and it can't make you clean enough. It can't make you good enough. You know you deserve to die. For then they would have, would they not have ceased to be offered? If it could have cleansed them permanently, why did they keep on offering them? For the worshipers, once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. Every single year on the Day of Atonement, you get to go in and be reminded in the presence of God that you're dead. That you're under the condemnation of sin and death. And so they would kill a goat. And transfer your sin upon it by the high priest. And then they would let one goat escape and one would be sacrificed. And as soon as that whole operation was over. You'd be back under sin again. That was for last year's stuff. This year's stuff. Still on the books. You're still responsible. For it is not possible, Hebrews 10, 4. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become, listen, and all the world may become guilty before God. You know what God gave the law for? So you could know you're guilty. You deserve his punishment. That's why God gave the Mosaic law. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, listen, no flesh will be justified, Hebrews says, in the sight of God. For with the law or by the law is the knowledge of sin. Some Christians seem to be driving in reverse. Looking back. You have not come to this mountain. So says Hebrews. So why do you keep looking at it in your rearview mirror? Why do you always run facing backwards and wondering why you're falling down? How does it look? When you go back and you try to do penance to make God like you and keep you on the route to eternal life. Nobody here has ever done that, but you know people like that and they're really a pain. They're really a pain because they have no peace. They have fear and trembling. Because they are constantly trying to make God be pleased with the offering which they have decided to offer. I'm going to read my Bible more now because yesterday I stunk. 
fill in the blank of whatever made you stink. I sinned. I failed. I did this. So I have to do some sacrificial stuff. Why is it that the Roman Catholic Church has this thing called Lent? Not Lent, although it's worth just as much as Lent. I say that because it will not save you to sacrifice. You know, I love the sacrifice. Well, I'm giving up ice cream this year for Lent. Oh, come on. Let's get serious here. If we're going to sacrifice, I want to see something good. Ashes on the forehead, that doesn't cut it for me. I want to see some real pain here. I mean, if you're really going to sacrifice to this kind of a holy God, it's got to be more than a bowl of ice cream, I should think. It better be something that really costs you. That's why Jesus said to the rich young ruler, who said he'd kept all of the law since his youth, Go and sell all you have. You want to impress me on Lent? Go and sell all you have. Give it to the poor. Then go follow Jesus. And we'll see if you have faith to follow Jesus. Because your works won't get you there. We are not running the works race. He who does the most holy things beats Mother Teresa to the pearly gates. No. We are running the faith race. We put our faith in the promise of Jesus Christ, the new covenant. Jesus Christ died for my sins. Therefore, all my works to pay for my sins are thrown in the face of Jesus saying you didn't do it good enough. It's looking back. It's sick. It's, it's stupid. Why are they laughing at me driving my car backwards down the highway? Because it's stupid. And it's dangerous. You can't see where you're going. So what has been presented to us is the danger of the mountain, the condemnation of that, that it made you aware of sin, and the purpose God was giving that to them was to treat them like children. The book of Galatians tells us that the law was a tutor. Law was a tutor to Israel and to all who bound themselves to Israel to show them that they were sinners so that they would look forward to the Savior who had been promised. So the old covenant, the Mosaic covenant, the Mount Sinai covenant was a kindergarten covenant. A kindergarten covenant. You know, kindergarten's good for those who are, das ist what the Germans say, the kinder. The kinder are the children. Jawohl. This is what they are, kindergarten. How about, how would it look if all of us show up at kindergarten Monday morning, we're all adults, most of us here. Got a few kids, but the Snyders are gone. We lost over half the kids. You kids can just laugh at us as we try and sit in those little desks. Those itty-bitty little chairs. And they give us the big pencils. And the big lined paper. Okay, Larry. Let's see who can make the best A. A. B. 
Who's got them all? It's a kindergarten covenant. Why are we looking back at it? It does not save us. It cannot save us. What saves us is Jesus the Christ. His work saves us. We believe in his work, and then we follow by faith. We run. Looking back, there's only terror. Even for he who stood between Israel and God taking the law, Moses himself doesn't want to go back to Sinai, I guarantee you. He was looking for someone to stand between him and God. He was looking for another priest. Notice what our text tells us back to Hebrews chapter 12. Look at it this in verse 21. The people were scared. They say, you go up the mountain. You want to be a leader? Here you go. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. Moses didn't want to go get the law. Moses didn't want to go up on the mountain. He was exceedingly frightened. The Greek word is ekphobos. Familiar with phobos, right? From which we get phobias in the Greek. Well, this has the privative. This has a prefix, ek, which means even more than scared. It's intensifying prefix. He was ekphobos. He was terrified. The very core of his being and trembling, all of his muscles and his bones were giving way. He was full of fear, almost controlled by it. How it was he drove himself up the mountain could only be by faith. Exodus 24, listen to the record. Now the glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. The sight of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire, was like a consuming fire. Look to the end of this chapter, and you will read that our God is a consuming fire. It was like a consuming fire on top of the mountain in the eyes of the children of Israel. So Moses went into the midst of the cloud and went up onto the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. Is this where you're going when you're looking back? Is this what you want? So often the Mosaic law is sold to us. Oh, it's good. You've got to do this. The Hebrews did it. And if that package won't work, do the Hebrew diet and lose 25 pounds in 30 days. The Hebrew diet was not given to them so they could lose weight. That's not biblical. It's not textual. It's not anything like that. It's a holiness thing. It's a be separate from the world thing so that they'll know you're serving me thing. Not so you can look better. That's an idolatry thing. And you can't take part of the law. You've got to take it all. That's Galatians. I can't go there. Listen to this from Exodus 20. By the way, Exodus 20 is where we read of the Ten Commandments. And Moses said to all the people, do not fear for God has come to test you. And that his fear may be before you so that you may not sin. So the people stood afar off, but Moses drew near the thick darkness where God was. 
The rearview mirror shows the testing of God, the danger of God, the condemnation of God. Fear is necessary when you disobey. That's the result. And you can never obey the law completely, so you live in complete fear. You can only obey the command to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And thou shalt be saved. I will forgive your trespasses. And I will throw them as far as the east is from the west. You did not save you. Christ saved you. Stop running backwards. Stop driving in reverse. Look where you're going. Put Mount Sinai in the rearview mirror and let's look out the windshield and go forward. And that's where we're going to go next week. Now you know where not to look. Now, we're not to focus. Tomorrow, or not tomorrow, we could do it tomorrow, but you might not want to. Next Sunday, we're going to go to Mount Zion. Let's pray. Father God, you are frightening. You are a consuming fire. You are more than we as mere mortals can take without someone standing between us and you. And so, Lord, we thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to stand between us and you, lest we be condemned and live in sure terror of final judgment. Hebrews has told us we have a high priest who can understand our weaknesses, who is all points tempted just as we are yet without sin. Therefore, let us come boldly to the throne of grace where we might find mercy and receive grace for the day of trouble. Help each one of us here and within the sound of my voice to stop driving in reverse, looking back to Sinai and the law that you have done away with and run by faith looking forward unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We ask this help from you today and every day in the future. In Jesus' name we pray it and all God's people say, Amen. Amen.